welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNairn. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Mike McNary here, welcoming you to another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. Today's episode is titled, How to Stay Agile with Sales Compensation. For our show, I'm pretty pumped about our guest. We've got Eric Charles. Eric is the Vice President, Business Operations Japan for the Exactly Corporation. It's great to have you, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Appreciate it. We're excited to have someone with your expertise on the show. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about that expertise and, and your background to start? Um, you know, many of our listeners are likely familiar with Exactly, uh, have maybe used Incent at one point or another. But for those that haven't, uh, tell us a little bit about Exactly and your organization's mission. So Exactly is founded. Wow, we're like seventeen and a half years ago. When it was founded, we were actually the first player to take the world of automating sales compensation into the cloud. The idea was, and always has been, to make it possible to manage the what is really behind the scenes an extremely complex and onerous process of sales compensation. And it, and it, and it really, it's people are always like, hold it, how hard is it? You know, I, I make five uh, percent uh, on a deal and an extra a, extra kick or a two percent if I'm over quota. I'm like, yeah, but are you the only person that gets paid? I mean, if right. we roll into the data, there's like <laughs> 20, 30 people on average getting paid on a single deal. By the time you look at all the shared credits, split credits, and roll-ups to management, it's a nightmare. And that's assuming you figure out who should get paid on a deal. You know, second only to complaining that you um, cheated me out of some of my commission is you cheated me out of credit on, on working on a deal. Uh, right. Don't you remember I was on that? Not, you know, Mike wasn't on that deal. That was my territory at the time. So it it, it gets a lot of fun. So the company got into this to start automating all these systems. Um, a lot of it was driven around the growth of, once again, SaaS-based CRM systems, like, of course, Salesforce. Yep. And then each round of it, t- trying to take the lessons we, a lot of people learned, myself included, from prior companies and make it work a lot better. And, and it does. Listen, as an exactly user, um, I can say that before uh, it was implemented at Mimeo, sales comp was an entirely different uh, day-to-day uh, task. So much of it is streamlined and, as you said, automated. And also the visibility is uh, huge for sales leadership. And also, like you said, the individual stakeholders who are wanting to know, hey, what are they being paid? Where is it coming from? You know, What deal? What percentage? And all of that's pretty uh, evident if you're using the tool. So I think you guys have accomplished uh, a lot of that mission. You know, I'm sure still iterating and innovating, but um, you're doing a pretty good job. So how'd you end up exactly? I got started you know, right out of university. I ended up in management consulting, and I was working on sales compensation projects. And so I would build out massive spreadsheets for my clients to prove how it should be done. And mm-hmm. I still remember one of my clients at one point saying, could we please have your spreadsheet model? We're going to use it to run comp here. And, and I'm really dating myself here. You know, I said, sure. And I federal expressed them a, a stack of diskettes, you know, not even burned a <laughs> CD. I then get this call and they said, oh, um, this requires a newer version of Excel. Can you buy us a copy of Excel and expense it to us because our IT budget won't let us buy more software? Right. So I did that. (laughs) 
then I ended up working in-house at one of my customer's son. Um, they hired me in to come in and manage comp for a, one of their divisions. That was the late 90s. So then I started doing a lot of startups. Then I went into academia for a while. And then Chris Cabrera, the founder of Exactly, we got together for drinks one day and he said, why don't you take a look at what I'm working on and wow. showed me some of the work Exactly was doing. I got very excited. And then from there, I've been with the company off and on for wow, 11, 12 years now. And last year, we realized that Japan would be a fantastic market. We had had some interest from Japanese companies in the past. I volunteered to come over here to Tokyo and help hire up a local team and get them going. And you know, we've already got our first customers up and going and slowly expanding here in Tokyo, making the Exactly Family continue to be global. That's awesome. Let's let's talk about sales comp. You talked about some of the research that you've done, this expertise that you have, uh, the track record of you know working in and around sales compensation now for decades. It sounds like, and um, you know, I'd imagine that makes you uh, you know pretty informed, but also opinionated on what's to come in in the the path ahead for sales organizations, especially those that want to be leading edge. Um, so why don't we talk about the status quo? Um, you know. Think about the average sales comp plan at a mid-sized sales team in North America. You know, if you're looking at it from your perspective, what works and what doesn't work with the current status quo? It's a nightmare. <laughs> it's um, and it's uh, uh, it's Frankenstein's monster. Um, okay. You know, in that they have an arm from finance and a leg from sales ops. And another arm is brought in from human resources, and they have assembled this body uh, where everybody's voice has been heard in design of the comp plan. And by the time you're done, it has so many moving parts. And don't get me wrong, having too many moving parts obviously justifies the existence of enterprise-grade software. What I see is if I walked up to one of your sales reps, I said, hey, what's the top deal in your pipeline? I said, ah, this client. Cool. How much will you make if you close it tomorrow? And if they can't answer that question, you've got a problem. You're wasting money. Right. And this is one of the issues is people don't realize that line of sight is a couple different things. It's usually used to, do I know how my actions will impact my pay? But there's also that, do I know how much I'll make? I, I had a, a, a very good friend of mine who worked for one of the big global tech companies. We were talking about plans. I said, so so how do you do? He's like, well, we're only paid quarterly because of the system. And it takes him six weeks after the end of the quarter to actually cut me a check. I'm like, wow, that's just ridiculous. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, so I can do business in January and not get paid until the May 15th pay run. Yep. And I asked him, I said, do you, do you know about what you'll make each quarter? He says, not a chance. He said, I said, all right. So you got your personal spreadsheet. I knew this guy. He's like, yep. Does it match the companies? Nope. How does that make you feel? He says, honestly, they pay me so much. I'm just going to keep going. Yep. So in a way, he's the voice of the problem, I also point out, he was making so much, he really didn't care at that point. He figures all just caught up on the, you know, in the noise. But but I can imagine uh, you've got a listener right now, say, on the financial auditing side of things going, what? Hold right. it. You know, how much money are we pumping into this, you know, for an individual rep or, or something? You know, what's our line item for all of this? And 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 why did it happen this way? And I think that's that's a, that's a big part of the problem. I'd say there's you know, something so to that, right? Not being able to draw... A if this uh, happens, then I get this conclusion is something that can definitely inhibit the 
motivation that comes from sales comp, right? Like if you don't know exactly, you know, in quantitatively what you're going to bring home, if an outcome occurs, then it's hard to get as jazzed or as motivated towards that outcome if it's less clear. I, I was sitting with um, one of my sales reps last night at the office and we were working on a proposal for a, a company okay. and working on the pricing. And I, I just said, hold it, let's, let's, uh, let's whiteboard this. And let's talk about bluntly how you can maximize your commission on this. Nice. And her eyes grew wide. She said, hold it. You're not my sales manager. You're running operations for Japan and you're helping me make more money. I'm like, absolutely. Because everything in this plan benefits the company, which totally. Which, and I looked at her and said, which, by the way, rolls into my bonus plan. Yeah. We're all on the same side here. If you make more money, I make more money because the company's doing better because our plan is built to hit the goals of the company, yep. but it's also blatantly built to drive the exact behaviors we want from our sales team to pursue. Right. And if they don't know what those behaviors are going to lead to, it's hard to actually drive the behaviors. Yeah. And we could do it on the whiteboard. That's the whole yep. thing. It's like, we could check. I mean, you know, she could do it in the product, but we hadn't even, she hadn't even put a quote into the, into Salesforce yet, where, which is usually where you can play with it. And exactly. So we can whiteboard this. And that's another thing. We can whiteboard it because our, our comp plan, although it encompasses critical goals, is clear enough. I don't want to say simple enough, but clear enough that you can whiteboard out a single deal and see how much money you'd make and pull yep. up the percentages. Yeah. The point you made a moment ago, which I'd say, you know, I think my organization has, and I think a lot strive for, which is alignment, right? What benefits the rep benefits the organization. I'd imagine that the most broken don't even have that Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of companies. It's it again depends on who our first entry into a prospective client is. When we say great, who here on the buying committee represents actually sales? They're like, why would they be in here? I'm like, well, they're gonna see the results. Oh, they never see you know how the sausage is made. I'm like, they right. should. They yeah. should know exactly how it's made. This takes me back to early days at exactly um, working on the product, and I had a rep come up to me. It's like, Eric, can you please talk to this prospect? He's angry because. Um, our product doesn't support a square root function in a plan role. Why on earth are you calculating square root in right. a comp plan? <laughs> it doesn't and, make and, sense. And it, it, it turned out, again, they had a CFO who intelligently realized that if you're plotting a payout curve, it you can get one that kind of follows more of a, a you know, logarithmic you know, or just that type of a curve. I said, but there's no reason to do that you know, I said, because that's really forcing a sales rep to sit there like, how much will I get paid? Right. That's the other thing, the opportunity cost, right? Is for folks that are managing every penny and trying to find, you know, transparency and track back, you know, sales should equal these commissionable dollars and finding, you know, if there's any Delta, the, tracking down the smallest discrepancy is a huge time suck. Right. Yeah. And I've seen reps do it. Right. Like I've seen even in the best systems, reps, for some reason, um, you know, maybe the comp plan is at fault or maybe there is uh, an inherent pessimism about the accuracy of payouts, um, which there might be. Uh, and, and I think I've seen too many folks waste too much time saying, wait, is this right? Or, you know, what happened here? I'm supposed to get this or I thought this or, you know, it looks to me like there might be this missing. And it's, you know, before you know it, you're eight emails deep and someone spent, you know, an hour uh, in uh, exactly or another tool. Right. Uh, you've wasted finances time, you've wasted yeah. HR's time, and you've wasted a sales rep's time and a sales manager's time 
that that error cost the company ten thousand dollars. Right. I mean, honestly, in that opportunity cost, you're, you're absolutely right. And I always say it's like we know that in in a lot of companies there is a negative attitude towards sales. When a sales rep's commission check is wrong, is underpaid, and you have any sort of that negative attitude towards sales percolating in the company, you know, those are just the pretty boys. Those are just the, you know, you know, meatheads that go out there, right? Yeah. You know, they're going to blow the whole commission check on a new Mustang or an old one if they're me, you know, <laughs> mine's a 67. Um, they're they're going to, you know, the rep then is going to respond to that cultural input with a, they cheated me, not, oh, somebody probably messed up a credit, slipped right. a digit, you know, didn't, oh no, it, it gets personal. Pay is personal. And if your response to a pay request is, oh, come on, are you sure about that? Yeah. It gets more personal. People forget the personal side that pay is. This is, especially if you're on a 50-50 plan, 50% base and 50% potential incentive. Yeah. This is how people pay, buy their groceries, pay for their kids' schools. It's how the people uh, pay their rents or mortgages, right? You talked about a car, right? It's how people get from A to, a to B. I mean, it's how they pay for everything. So it's in, incredibly personal, one. And then I think to build off your statement, you know, if there is that negative sense or relationship between sales and whether it's finance or other areas of the organization, all you need is a bad moment like that and have it completely cascade with a chain effect or chain reaction of that person, you know, sharing their experience with somebody else and then develops a pessimism. Then all of a sudden you have a small issue that has become scaled out and is now very problematic for your org impacting productivity as well as attrition and morale you know, go on and on. Right. So yeah. um, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, you make a really good point about the visibility of, you know, what am I going to make when I do A, B, or C? It has to be there. Right. And the alignment between benefits of the individual and the organization now I need to be there too, but there needs to be a broader perspective from the, the, the organization that this is important, this matters, and we're aligning it because these efforts create positive outcomes and in some senses keep the lights on for everybody, right? Um, so that, that's, that's a, a really good take, and I think you're dead on. And it seems simple, but a lot of people overlook it. So um, let me ask you this, right? So thinking about you know, modern comp plans, right? You talk about having the visibility and the alignment. You know, let's talk about types of pay. Right. You know, historically, there's, you know, uh, salary plus, right, could be salary plus commission, salary plus commission and bonuses or a combination of those. And then there's been a lot of, you know, we'll call them fringe uh, comp opportunities or benefits like, you know, contests, um, spiffs, uh, you know, trips, straight cash bonuses in, in real time or short term, you know, what are your feelings on those in, in their place in modern uh, comp models? I, I love them. I'm okay. fully in support with a critical caveat is don't make your entire comp plan contests. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, and there was a company I worked with that we called them, you know, contests are us because they were throwing out contests mm. every single month. And those contests had enough leverage in them that reps, they'd sit on deals until the contest was announced then finish putting the proposal together and bring it to the company to maximize their pay on that. So right. their core pay program was no longer driving behavior and everybody waited for the contest. So that's that's how contests can go really bad. Yeah. 
But contests can be a great way of creating energy. For example, I love contests in Q1, especially because a lot of salespeople, you know, you finish the prior fiscal year, you finally sit back and breathe. You've, you know, assuming you did well and, you know, you're still around, you, you're, you've got that end year check coming in. Hey, you know what? The boss said, we've got a contest here that if you can bring, you know, anything you can bring in here in the, let's say month two of Q1, we're going to throw a little kicker in it just because you're, we want to kick off this quarter strong. Yep. Oh, you know, and it, and it wakes somebody up. It's a shot of espresso. Yeah. I love those. Let's talk about the trips. Trips are a very interesting one. And actually some of this gets into I mentioned research. Um, Mike Ahern, University of Houston, Tom Steenberg, University of Virginia um, have done a lot of research and it's overlapped with some work I did with Alan Benson on 80-20 rule and who top reps are and carving your sales population into, you know, your leaders, your core performers and your laggards or as I like to call them, the rock stars, the benchmark, and the why did we hire them? You can build one heck of a distribution curve of sales performance out there. Now, rock stars, your leaders, you just got to make sure they stay. Alan using exactly uh, data to do some analysis. Is, yeah, 20% of the reps bring in 81.2% of the business. So you want to make sure that 20% of your rep population is taken care of. So now let's talk about the core, back to your question on trips and, and experiences. That that the mid-tier is possibly you know not going to get rep of the year, okay? They're, they're, they're not in the top 20%. But they're still critical to your company's business. You know, they're still bringing in revenue and they could be next year's great rep. So how can we get them excited? So if you know you're not going to club, for example, and you know you're not going to be fired, how do I get you excited? Well, here's one. Great. So you don't get the all expenses paid trip to Barcelona, but the boss is tossing out a nice weekend at a, at a high end, you know, at, at the Park Hyatt Chicago. For the Midwest, yep, you know, and and uh, and with a, a gift card for a steakhouse, and you might go chase that contest because you can go home to your partner and say, "Guess what? I just won." That little weekend trip yep. is huge. And then you, yeah. you let's take it to the to your SDRs, your 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 brand new members of the sales team are giving sales a shot. Weekly contests for that team can be fantastic. And it's it's one of my favorites I saw. Um, we did this at exactly, and I've seen, and I've encouraged others, they filled up like 25 helium balloons and attached to each balloon was a card. And once you hit the goal, you could grab a balloon. And then some of the cards were as simple as 25 bucks at Starbucks, which people will do amazing things for a Starbucks car. But we had hidden in those balloons was, you know, a really good set of over the ear noise canceling, you know, from Apple. Yeah. The, 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 the big AirPods Max. Oh man, they, they were chasing this stuff and they were having fun. They're laughing. They were both cheering each other on, you know, each time you got it, cheering people on to hitting the contest and waiting to see who would get the super prize. Yeah. And there were two or three of those. So you, you're gamifying it. Gamification works. Yeah. Just don't let it be your comp plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. And you're right about, listen, it can create the focus when you need to and send the right behaviors, you know, and, and you can also scale it. As it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if you need to get one thing accomplished, there's 
certain ways to pull that lever. And then if you need broader, uh, you know, impact, there's, you know, go with bigger tickets, right? Um, ticket right. items. But you're right. I, right. You know, the above plan shouldn't be uh, more uh, influential or impactful to somebody's W-2 than the stuff that they get on a week to week. And is, you know, again, going back to your original point, when that's the case, it's too variable and not transparent enough about where that money is going to be coming from, what results you'll, you'll yield from certain uh, activities or outputs. And it, whether people like it or not, the reality is that it's going to create uh, uh, less uh, of an incenting of the right behaviors than say, hey, this is clearly what you get if you do these things, right, and hit these targets. So um, I like your take on that. I think um, thinking about those things as being some of the ways that organizations you know, try to be agile in how they're paying their sales reps, right? You know, what are some other ways that you see organizations being able to be agile in the years ahead um, for comp plans rather than sticking to the, we'll call it legacy, you know, but hard and fast annual plans? Stop doing set it and forget it plans. Okay. I mean, the, the comp plan design committee will be formed here for anybody that's on a calendar fiscal year or close enough to it in a few months, you know, probably like it'll be either a first meeting before early November, you know, keep, keep fighting about what the plan is going to look like through December and hopefully roll it out to the sales team the first week of January, if you're on a calendar fiscal and the number of companies that, by the way, miss, miss the rollout is way too many. Cause then they wonder why nobody's selling anything in the first month. I'm like, well, cause nobody knows what the comp plan is. Um, so there's, Again, you know, they want to know they what they're going to make. They don't yeah. trust you. That's right. So, <laughs> and, and I can't wait for the day when we can do one of these and not talk about COVID, but I'm going to talk about COVID now. The number of companies that didn't adjust their comp plan and didn't adjust their approach when all of a sudden nobody was getting on airplanes and there was no such thing as field sales because you weren't allowed out of your house there for a while, depending on right. where you were, especially when your client said, we're not accepting visitors right now. I mean, think of all of the things that got in the way of doing business there for a bit. Yeah. Okay. And companies had to adjust their sales approach. And they needed to adjust their comp plan to reflect the companies that approached the challenges of the marketplace at that point. And that's why I want to genericize it, just using a real example, who approached that are the ones that succeeded. They said, huh, it's a lot harder to secure brand new customers right now because of this. Let's shift the attention to our existing client base for both renewals and add-ons. And actually, we saw a huge impact of that, it, measurable, statistically significant. Yeah. Once things opened back up, I know a lot of people who didn't like how their comp plan was managed through COVID did not stay. Yeah, right? you got it. A lot of departures, people said, well, you know, the, the, the smart companies were the ones that, like I said, made everybody more like an inside sales, gave people more uh, uh, authority over existing clients, put more emphasis on upselling existing customers. They changed the plan midstream. They yep. changed the territories midstream. They said, oh, you're not driving around Atlanta anymore. So we're actually going to give you half of you know another state while we're at it. We're going to shift these things around. And that's the first one is that you can change the plans. There's no reason why you can't do a plan change mid-year. Doesn't I mean, have to agile, take a pandemic. You got it. You got it. The pandemic hopefully woke people up to you should be rethinking about all of this. 
Yeah. I think if you didn't come out of that with a better sense of your ability and willingness to experiment across the board, then you probably missed an opportunity, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that, and I hope you cut, you know, it's, it's, there's the roles, there's the territories, there's the types of clients you're approaching. I mean, what a great time to re-audit all of that. Do you have a separate hunter farmer model? Should you switch to a hybrid model then? Should you, you know, actually put more incentives in front of your customer success reps? Since, right. you know, you're, you're suddenly remembering how important, you know, client acquisition is. What else can you be doing here to improve things, to improve the client relationship? Remember, you know, you can improve client relationships through incentives as well. Yeah. The, a lot of companies when they, and, and I've seen this in prior recessions um, as well. What I remember the, the, the reset, the lot, the recession of the late two thousands, a lot of what a lot of companies did was they froze salary, but they still made it possible to make money off of incentives. And they brought that across the board that kept the company from taking a fixed cost of salary that they're scared of, but they were willing to say, but you know, if you can do something, we'll pay you for it. Yep. That's an agile response. And that, you know, when you see a competitive challenge, respond to it. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Contests. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I tend to, I, I, I agree. And I think, listen, you, we had the best uh, educator and use case, you know, in 2020. Right. So this should be top of mind uh, to some degree. But let me ask you this question outside of, are, you know, are there any other reasons besides this is how we've always done it and this is what we're comfortable with that companies are, you know, maybe unwilling or less willing to manage these things in this agile or, you know, less than annual term way? Absolutely. It's because their entire engine for managing comp is owned by Tammy or Brad in that one random office down the hall. And they're the only ones that can change it. Yep. And that's especially if you're on an older system or a, you know, a system that doesn't get good support or heaven help you. It's a custom built that you, you cranked out years ago and it just is working in the background. And yeah, there's yeah. a lot of systems like, you know, it's like you're still on a legacy piece from one of my competitors or you're still running it off of Microsoft Excel or an, an access database. I still see those sometimes. Interesting. Um, so, but, so you're saying it's, you know, it, it's, it's less probably about a desire to be more nimble than it is about being bogged down by legacy infrastructure that doesn't give flexibility and you're too tied down to a single point of failure or a single tool of, of restriction. You got it. You've got it. You've, you've let your systems dictate your strategy. Yeah. Terrible, terrible world to try and operate in. Yeah. Managing this has a lot of, um, you know, moving pieces, right? And if you don't have the right tools and if you think about what comp plans and comp management look like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it's a whole different world, right? And I think, um, you know, getting on that train does allow for some of the things we're talking about, right? Adaptive, you know, comp planning, as well as, uh, you know, being nimble and addressing the market, you know, quarter by quarter, maybe, or semi-annually. Um, do you think that there is a benefit or, uh, you know, uh, uh, an advantage to doing it on any certain cadence? Or is it maybe 
uh, company specific. You know, we're just wondering if you think it should be a six month plan or a quarterly or all of them can work if done properly. I don't know. I mean, an, an annual plan with quarterly with with quarterly measures is still my usual place where I start. You know, okay. and some companies it depends on how much deal flow you've got going on. Some companies have got daily deal flow, so they you know, it can be shorter period. Yep. But companies should at minimum be doing a half year audit, quick check, and like and and even let's go back to those contests. If you do a contest to try and move a certain product, you know, you think, you know, nobody seems to be selling this this particular, you know, additional feature that we have. Let's let's do a contest around it. And then at the end of that contest, if you do not back up and say, did we sell more of that feature under the contest than we sold before? Yeah. Then you miss it. If you just say, awesome, we moved, you know, 112, you know, uh, licenses for this additional feature, 112 units into into Massachusetts because we tested this contest in Massachusetts. Right. But what did you move into Massachusetts? What did you move into for an equivalent prior period? Give me a baseline. Always have that baseline. So that's for the contest. For any incentive plan, just backing up and looking at it and seeing what rules are even triggering, what things are happening. Is it is it having an impact? Yeah. Who's falling behind? Who's coming ahead? Do, are the people that are that are winning the people we want to be winning? And and by that I mean, remember, people will game the plan. People will manipulate the plan all day long. You can have a rep hit their personal earnings, and that's a that's a big rule. Remember, their numbers are not your numbers. Yeah. A rep's numbers, and you said this earlier, are what's in their W-2. It's what's in their wallet. Your numbers are going to be revenue or EBITDA or new logo acquisition. Yep. But when they go home, they're not going to say, honey, it's great. We now have 13 new, new logos I'm responsible for. Right. It's going to be, no, it's, honey, it's great. I nailed it. I got the up, the accelerator, and, you know, we've my got a little extra like cash. This. Yeah, my check you looks like this. Exactly. People, right? People forget that. They get so excited about the plan, they forget to back up and say, how much money will someone take home? Yep. Yeah. And and listen, you mentioned it, and I'm a big proponent of looking at things this way. This is incredibly personal topic, right? And I think anybody who's sold understands it, um, but anybody who hasn't, right, they get their paycheck. and, And it is so important and integral into everything that someone does in their life for 99% of the population. Right. Um, not that everyone lives paycheck to paycheck, but what their paycheck looks like dictates their lifestyle or their their you know decisions or their options. Right. Um, you know, they say people tend to spend what they have in their pocket. Right. So, you know, it, it has a day to day impact. And, you know, messing with that, you know, tends to impact security, confidence, happiness, as well as um, someone's uh, buy in towards the organization that's sending those checks. So. There's someone on your sales team that is the squirrel. They are the one that always figures out how to manipulate the game. Mm-hmm. They're the one that somehow gets upgraded to business on the way to sales club, you know, just through a, a, a work in the system. Bring the comp plan you're designing to that person and ask them, how would you maximize your pay and, and bluntly not do anything for the company? What am I missing? I used to do this as a designer. How would I break this plan to make the maximum amount of money? Um, I think there's a lot there. And, and I love what you're talking about here in terms of, you know, uh, looking at compensation in an adaptive way, being agile. Um, I think that there's real opportunity when companies 
do this in a strategic way. If I'm thinking about some, some maybe the three key takeaways from our conversation today for the listeners, I think that first one has been recurring, which is, you know, make the connections clear, right? If a sales uh, a stakeholder does A, they are going to yield B, right? And any murkiness between the uh, action and the results, uh, you know, it takes away from how much you're able to incent right behaviors and outcomes. A second uh, kind of takeaway is in kind of the theme overall here uh, is be agile, right? Uh, stay away from set it and forget it. Find intervals or opportunities to innovate that are win-wins for the organization and for your sales stakeholders, right? And then finally, audit your strategy. If you're making changes, whether it's in your comp plans or how you're managing above plan incentives, measure, has this had the impact we were hoping? Look at it relative to historicals or expectations or forecasts. Did this have uh, uh, a line moving uh, result uh, by us doing this? Right. And that way you'll you'll figure out what you should keep doing and what you should kind of punt on and, and move on from. So um, I think those are really great takeaways. And, and I really appreciate, uh, you know, you taking the time to talk to us and, and share some of your thoughts, Eric. It's been great having you um, and also hearing about some of the stuff that exactly is doing. If our uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? I'm, I'm always open to LinkedIn connections. Okay. Eric Charles, E-R-I-K-C-H-A-R-L-E-S. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they're looking for me, they're welcome to drop me an email, echarles at exactlycorp. I mean, I don't mind it. I love I love the outreach. Well, that's great. And I'm sure uh, folks will appreciate that. And thank you for um, all the great intel here. And we appreciate you being a, a guest on the pod. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the invitation. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.